0: So we're still in letter number 30 today and we're going to be reading probably from halfway through verse 11 through till about the verse 13. And you remember from this letter, number 30, on Conquering the Conqueror, that Seneca is basically having this conversation with an elderly person who is right at the the edge of life, you know, about to die, uh, can see that uh, this is happening, his body is falling apart. He's really wrestling with these questions of his own mortality. And so Seneca is having these conversations and then relaying the wisdom that he's learning from this person uh, over to us through his letter. And so, I'm going to read these couple of verses, and, uh, or this verse, and there, there's some really interesting ideas in here, and there's probably one that I want to focus on particularly, but we'll see what we can take away from these few lines. So, Seneca says the following, quote, It is superfluous at the present time to plead nature's cause, for she wishes our laws to be identical with her own. She but resolves that which she has compounded, and compounds again that which she has resolved. Moreover, if it falls to the lot of any man to be set gently adrift by old age, not suddenly torn from life but withdrawn bit by bit, oh, verily he should thank the gods, one and all, because after he has had his fill, he is removed to a rest which is ordained for mankind, a rest that is welcome to the weary. You may observe certain men who crave death even more earnestly than others are wont to beg for life. And I do not know which men give us greater courage, those who call for death or those who meet it cheerfully and tranquilly. For the first attitude is sometimes inspired by madness and sudden anger. The second is the calm which results from fixed judgment. Before now, men have gone to meet death in a fit of rage. But when death comes to meet him, no one welcomes it cheerfully except the man who has long since composed himself for death. End quote. Okay, so there's some really interesting ideas in this, uh, these few lines here, starting with that idea that he gives us at the start, that, that nature wants our laws to be identical to her own, and he says, she but resolves that which she has compounded, and compounds again that which she has resolved. So I really love this sentence because it shows us yet again that Seneca is inspired by looking at nature and seeing the, the, you might say, the logos that exists within nature and seeing how that relates to our own lives and the laws under which we are governed, right? And so whenever he's trying to grapple with a question in his own life, he's often using these this imagistic speak, right? Like he's he's using these images of nature. You know, we, we've talked a lot of before about his metaphor with philosophy of you know being adrift on the ocean but coming into safe harbor you know and and now he's talking about how nature has almost like this wave-like pattern where it compounds or you know gets tense and you know the tension is there and then and then it's the release right and this is similar to what Heraclitus talked about he said that in the tension of binding opposites that's where harmony is found right and so he's talking about you know look at nature this is this is what nature does and she's trying to make our own laws identical to hers, and that's the laws that we are governed by. And there is comfort in that, right? And this this is very close to the kind of, you know, you know it is the kind of uh, philosophical talk that you would see from somebody who understands this principle of the logos, right? The patterns that flow throughout everything. Once you start to see the patterns, then you can see how they relate to you and your own life. You start to see the cyclical nature of our lives and of nature, And you start to see that we are not separate from nature, but that we are governed by the same laws of nature. We are a part of it, right? And so it's a part of us. And this should give you some comfort because then you can start to look around. You can start to see how things relate to each other. It's very interesting when that starts to happen. And this line that Seneca gives us about you know nature resolving what she compounds and compounding what she resolves it it really reminds me of this lecture that Alan Watts gave uh, in front of a whole bunch of psychologists and he basically said them from said to them from the start uh, you know the first thing that anybody should learn when they're growing up is that nature is or life is like the waves you know it's like waves constantly up and down up and down you know whether whether you look at it in terms of musical waveforms or the waves on the ocean or you know, the seasons of our lives, the winters and the summers, you know, when, whether you see it as, uh, you know, life and death, it's like everything has this wave-like pattern. And, and to me, it seems like that's the same thing that Seneca is, is kind of getting at in this sentence when he talks about the compounding and then the resolving. And so moving on, Seneca kind of goes on to give us a few other ideas that he's thinking on uh, about when it comes to death. One of those being that uh, if you're the person who is has reached an old age and is drifting out of life slowly, uh, you know, that he says that you should thank the gods one and all, right? Because you're very fortunate to be following that kind of natural course of life where you slowly uh, enter the, the rest, or as the comedian Tim Dillon put it, the long sleep. And so Seneca's probably feeling a little bit of gratitude at that point that he has actually been fortunate enough to reach his old age and not to be torn away from life suddenly. Uh, But now he is at the end of his life and he's looking at his own mortality and he's seeing that he's slowly drifting in that direction. And imagine that. Imagine being wise enough when you're old. To be grateful for the fact that, you know, you have been fortunate enough to have been given this long life and, and you know, to reach this old age and to leave life slowly and to, you know, to be grateful for the fact that you get to die in this way and not another. You know, that's a beautiful thing. That's a really beautiful thing that Seneca is showing us here. And then he kind of goes on to talk a little bit about how uh, he's not sure whether the person who kind of craves for death or the person who meets it with tranquility is, is showing greater courage. And although he doesn't necessarily resolve that thought, he does give us this very important point, which I think we could, you know, ponder for a long time. He says, no one welcomes death cheerfully except the man who has long since composed himself for death. So, this is just really important, right? Death is the sort of thing that requires a lifetime of preparation to be able to deal with uh, properly and wisely and with dignity. And, you know, so so Seneca is really saying here, like... That, As soon as you can start, start contemplating death. It's why we say in the Stoic community so much, uh, memento mori, remember death, right? Remember death, keep it in front of you. Let it inspire you, right? Let it inform you about how you should live your life, right? And on top of that, prepare yourself to face this inevitable uh, moment in your life where you'll be face to face with death, right? Prepare yourself for that moment so that when it comes, you know, you're not making the lives of everyone around you a burden because you can't handle uh, the, the, the fact of your own mortality, right? But so that you can show people that there is a wise, dignified, honorable way of leaving this life, which is such a beautiful gift to leave behind when you do die. Could you imagine a better gift to give those who loved you and, and, and helped you throughout your life and cared for you than to show them That one can leave life with dignity, honor, and courage. What a beautiful thing to leave behind. What a beautiful legacy to leave behind. And so this is why we spend a lot of our lives preparing for that moment, you know, even in just quiet moments of meditation. You know, Seneca is writing about all of this stuff, hopefully also as a mechanism by which he can help himself to understand how he might face his own mortality, right? And perhaps you do this through journaling, perhaps you do this through meditation, you know, perhaps you just do it by occasionally, uh, you know, pondering these thoughts around, you know, what does death mean for me in my life and, and, and how might I face it better? Uh, at the moment when it arrives, uh, these are the things that we might do throughout our lives so that we can prepare ourselves. And I think that that's one of the the beautiful things that Seneca really tries to get across in all of his writings is just remember death, right? Just just keep it on your mind, right? Because it is going to be a challenge if you have not yet prepared for it. So anyway, I'm going to leave it there. Hope you've enjoyed this episode and uh, I'll talk to you next time.